from Vistio. This is recorded for Quality Assurance. A show where we talk to the world's leading CX experts about industry trends, CX technology, and transforming customer support into a streamlined strategic advantage for your business. Welcome to CXQA Live, where we discuss all the most important strategies, ideas, and concepts behind a successful and positive CX organization. So we focus on the agent here, which is a little bit different. And today we've got a really unique topic. But before we get to that, I just want to remind everyone that we are recording this for quality assurance. And of course, what I mean by that is that's the name of our podcast that we make out of this time every week. So we're going to have a really interesting topic today. We're talking about trauma for CX agents. And for today's time, we're joined by special guest, Jeremy Hyde. Welcome, Jeremy. Hey, thanks for having me, Rob. Really glad you're here. So we have this philosophy called the agent-centric call center philosophy. And in that philosophy, we like to say that agents who are properly equipped and trained and connected to your business will be a revenue generation and protection center for your business. They'll be the best diagnostic tool that you could possibly have for your business because of their proximity to the customer. They will ensure that your customers are satisfied and connected. They're going to produce more and better work, and they're going to want to stay and contribute to the long-term success of your company. Now, we talk about wanting agents to be safe, successful, and satisfied in their work. And this week, we're talking specifically about trauma, which has to do with that safety aspect, right? And trauma is a unique topic. It's a difficult topic. It's a topic that most people in society, much less in the professional world, really don't know that much about. And I'll be the first to admit that until the last two to three years, I was really pretty ignorant of the medical research that has been done in the area of trauma that really helps anyone that's going through what might be considered extended stressful circumstances or maybe doesn't understand their own behaviors or doesn't understand some of the outcomes that they're receiving in life. And you start to ask questions of what's actually going on here. And in many cases, what you find is that this person has been traumatized by something. And the other thing that's really interesting that prohibits a lot of people from understanding trauma is that we think only people who are war veterans or people who have witnessed a crime or been a victim of a crime or something in the most extreme sense are trauma victims. But really, anytime your fight or flight internal body response is elevated for an extended period of time, medically speaking, you have now been through trauma. And so, it's a little bit different definition than what a lot of people think of when they think about a trauma victim. And so if you think about extended stress, I can't think of very many environments that have more extended stress than a call center or a contact center agent, right? Because you're not typically dealing with the happy customers. You're not typically dealing with the happy situations. And for many, the job is let's put out fires. Let's try to turn bad situations into good ones with customers who in many cases have very legitimate concerns, right? So when we talk about trauma, I would argue that to some degree, trauma is in most people. Most people have experienced some kind of trauma, right? And that doesn't mean that you need to take on a victim mentality. 
It does not mean that you need to blame your bad decisions on trauma or in the work environment that it's okay to sit back and say, well, I know my performance metrics are terrible, but it's okay because I'm a trauma victim. No, in fact, it is your responsibility to understand how trauma has impacted you and to understand how to grow from it. And I would say the extension of that is for managers and leaders within any organization, and especially for our time today, of course, within a CX organization to understand how pre-existing and current trauma impacts their employees and how to help them to process that and to minimize its impact on life and work. So I'm going to talk just for a second about philosophy of trauma at work. I don't know about you guys, but I've had a couple of humdingers. I've had a couple of work situations where I look back on it and I just want to shake my head, where I look, look back on it and I feel like I was not treated fairly, where I feel like I was attacked, where I feel like someone wanted me out at work, so they made sure that I left. And there were times where I just felt so totally misunderstood. I felt like I was really trying to do my best. I felt like I was really, do you see kind of the, the, the cadence, the pattern of thinking that goes into that? And what happens, unfortunately, when you have pre-existing trauma in work environments is you tend to bring that into your current work environment. You tend to interpret your superiors and your coworkers and maybe even your customers through the lens of past trauma. And one of the sneaky things about trauma is that in many cases, when you're being what's called triggered by your current circumstances, you don't realize you're being triggered. So you can be having a conversation with someone and your body goes into fight or flight mode and you start to experience this triggering scenario where you're having irrational, illogical responses to the stimuli that, that are around you, but you don't realize that that's happening. You think you're actually in a fight. You think you're actually defending yourself legitimately when in fact, maybe somebody said a word or a phrase, or there was a particular inflection or situation conversational context that brought out past trauma. You may not even realize that that's what's happening. And so when you're helping a group of people whose profession is dealing with difficult situations and sometimes difficult people to be healthy people and productive and healthy employees, boy, are we full of all of this kind of dynamic, right? I just want to say out loud, pre-existing work trauma is an enormously undervalued and under-discussed topic, right? So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about current work trauma. The reality is that whether you have pre-existing work trauma or not, if you're dealing with upset customers all day, every day, you're going to be some, somewhat traumatized by that unless you have a healthy way of understanding and processing that reality that you find yourself in, right? So I think that those kind of dynamics, when you talk about CX and, and customer engagement, that sometimes customers are just verbally abusive. Sometimes they're just mean. Sometimes they're irrational. And what's unique about trauma is that it's contagious. You know, so a traumatized person often traumatizes other people who then traumatize other people. You've heard hurt people hurt people, right? That's kind of the more popular version of that. But when you think about the medical understanding of trauma and the way that your body and your mind literally have this sometimes unseen response to what's going on around you that is not good, not healthy, and not appropriate for what's actually happening. And then that is shared from one person to the next to the next. This can get out of control 
very, very quickly, right? And then the second source of trauma, I think, in CX is when the organization for which an agent works actually is traumatizing the agent by forcing them to do work that violates their conscience or forcing them to support initiatives or even products and services that they don't think is actually good for the customer, right? So if your job is to sit there every day and tell the customers calling in that your company did nothing wrong, when you actually think your company's doing wrong things to the customers, you will be traumatized by that. So I think when we talk about trauma, there's a lot to be said. We could probably talk for several hours just about the overall of trauma, but I wanted to set the table here before we specifically get into some of the details and some of the things that Jeremy has to share. Jeremy, I want to bring you in here and I want to ask you uniquely for you, how did you become interested in or aware of trauma in general and specifically trauma in the context of the call center? Yeah. So my wife actually recently became a mental health therapist. So she she graduated from her master's program about a year ago, and she's been working in the field. And so kind of as she was going through school, and then now she's working in the field, working with people that are in recovery and often people that are in recovery and have a traumatic brain injury. You know, I, I've heard her talk about people's traumas and these stress responses, like you were talking about, Rob, you know, the, the sympathetic nervous system, that's the thing that we know is the fight, flight, or freeze nervous system. Mm-hmm. And so as she would be talking about these things, and, and I was starting to kind of understand and learn them a little bit more, all of a sudden, it just reminded me of this agent that I worked with five, six, seven years ago. And this agent was amazing, like 90% of the time. People loved her most of the time empathetic, super sweet, super caring. People would just give glowing compliments about her, except for that five or 10%. The situations with her that went wrong went extraordinarily wrong. Mm. And it would be something very, to me, seemingly small that would set off what seemed like this very unreasonable reaction, right? So somebody might call in and be like, hey, I'm feeling kind of frustrated and I really need you to help me with this situation very level-headed, but like expressing some sort of dissatisfaction. And she would, in retrospect, as I look back on it, it seemed like she was going into this fight response, right? I don't know if she had an underlying trauma or for some other reason, she had just an overactive sympathetic nervous system, which can happen, by the way, if we're not aware of the system, you know, there's like the, the gas and the brake and they have to work together. They shouldn't be pressed at the same time. If you overuse one, you can mess up the other, that sort of thing. But it just, as my wife was explaining these concepts to me, I'm like, oh my gosh, I think that she was having this fight or flight response in these situations. And and that's where like the unexplainable, if you have some sense of the physiological and psychological response that's involved with the fight or flight, it starts to click. I'm like, yeah, that's not logical, but that's what happens when you go into fight or flight. When your body activates that nervous system, it starts shutting a bunch of things down. Hey, I'm running from a saber-toothed tiger. I don't need to do complex math calculations. I don't need to digest food. I need to run or I need to fight. And so the logic part of the brain, the frontal cortex that helps you deal with complex things and logic through a scenario, that stuff shuts down. And so now when you put it in the context of, hey, body, I'm not actually at physical threat right now, but you're reacting as if I am. And now you've turned off logic as I'm trying to have 
a complex, difficult conversation, likelihood of that going well just got really, really small, right? But so it just like, as I was thinking about all of this and thinking about how we try to coach and, and provide feedback, whether it's a, a difficult conversation about performance or it's a difficult customer conversation, whatever it may be, if we're focusing on what you should or shouldn't say, for example, well, in that moment, I didn't have access to the part of my brain that I needed to understand what I should or shouldn't say or the tone that I should use or that sort of thing. My heart was going crazy. I was all amped up because I was in this response. And so, you know, it's just the more and more I've been, I've been thinking about it, the more I've been trying to learn about it, you know, it's like we need to probably be thinking about like, what were you feeling in that moment? You know, getting people to understand this response so they can start to plan in advance because we're going to have difficult conversations, right? Even if I don't work in a call center, you know, me and my wife might have a difficult conversation. Me and my boss might have a di- my cousin, my mom, you know, family members, like we probably have a lot of difficult conversations with our family members. But if we don't understand this response and can't identify once it's triggered, like, oh, shoot, I might be ha- having a stress response then it becomes really, really difficult to bring ourselves back, use that break of the body, which is the the opposite of the sympathetic nervous system, and get ourselves back to a point where we can work efficiently and effectively in a scenario where a body has told me, hey, I'm, I'm fighting for my life, even though, again, I'm probably not. It's fascinating, right? You know, it, once you develop a basic understanding of how trauma works, and you start to ask questions about difficult seasons of your own life in the past, and maybe it's professional, maybe it's personal, but you can really start to understand why some of these things that were bad and hard in your past don't make any sense to you, right? If you're able to be open and honest and transparent with yourself and reflect, and by the way, I'm just going to show you one of my favorite tools in life. It's a journal, right? And some people will say, well, you know, why would you do that? Why would you take time to write? Because if I write down how I'm feeling today, what my thinking is today, and I go back two weeks from today and I read that thinking, boy, is it a lot clearer whether or not I was going through trauma, whether my thinking was clear, whether it was impacted by something other than the situation that I thought was impacting my thinking. And that particular tool helps me. Now, if you stretch that out over time and you start to think about your professional journey, you know, kind of bringing this really in focus to CX and, and the work world, you can kind of develop maybe a slightly different spin on your own narrative. And that can help you as you go into new environments or even interacting with your current coworkers or leaders in your current organization, or maybe even employees in your current organization, depending on your role to better understand what's happening inside of you in difficult situations and to help make sure that you're not passing more trauma on to more people. Right. And I think that's something that I I would encourage everyone to do is let's make it a goal that whatever trauma we've been through, that it stops with us. Right. And instead let's work against the trauma that we see in the people around us by learning how to help them. And in that light, Jeremy, my next question for you is this, you know, you shared the one past experience about that particular agent that you now suspect years back, you know, looking backwards, perhaps had pre-existing trauma that impacted those 10% of conversations that just went inexplicably off the rails, right? 
What are some ways that CX leaders can identify team members that may have pre-existing trauma that is affecting their work? So I want to start out by saying something. I want to make sure that, that we're really careful about something. I'm not suggesting that we go out and try to be the therapist of our team members or ask them to disclose their traumas to us or anything like we are not qualified to do that. And that is not appropriate. So I just want to be like super, super clear. Make 100%. sure nobody misunderstands. We may, put a little, we may put a little disclaimer across the bottom at this point yeah. in the recorded video, right? You know, we, right. We, yeah. this is not to replace therapy. Exactly. Yeah, we, we, we shouldn't do that. But what I do think, though, is that, you know, we need to acknowledge and talk about the fact that we do bring all parts of us to work. Mm. I hate that old cliche about like, leave it at the door leave your personal life at the door, leave your emotions at the door. Like it's just kind of a crock, right? Like that's just not a thing. Like we don't get to turn off parts of us when we walk through the door or virtually when we walk into our office, or whatever, like we can't do that. You can try and pretend, but like those things show up, right? We've witnessed it, whether it's in ourselves or with our colleagues, like that stuff shows up. And so while I don't think we need or should ask team members to disclose these things to us, it's probably okay in most cases to try to understand what someone is feeling in some of these situations and try to help them think about uh, what they're feeling and, and come up with some strategies around these situations. So, you know, it's funny, actually, when I was a, an agent, I had some amazing mentors and leaders, and they would have these really frank conversations with me. And... Sometimes I didn't filter super well, and I would say things, even to my colleagues, actually, most specifically, that really was off-putting. And they're like, dude, you can't do that. Like, you've got to, <laughs> you're not sounding very nice. And, you know, this, apparently things were triggering me, and I didn't know it at the time. I didn't realize I was doing it at the time, but I started to come up with strategies because, like, I didn't want to have that reputation. And, like, I didn't want to be the guy that was just a jerk and a bully. And so I started, and again, I didn't realize, like thinking back on this, like I was identifying this stress response, but I started to think about, okay, when I say something dumb, how do I know that's about to happen? Because I wasn't catching it before it rolled out of my mouth. But I started to realize like, ooh, like I had like this feeling in my body, my head would get a little warm or, you know, that sort of thing. But I think like helping people think about, you're going to have a difficult customer, Right. And we've seen that that can bring out certain feelings in you. So like, what are some things that you can do in advance to prepare for them? And what are some things that you can do in the moment to prepare for them? That acknowledgement, I think, is a really key piece. But then I would also say, you know, if we have folks that we can see are struggling and it's beyond anything that we should be trying to help them strategize around like make sure that that the leaders in the organization from the front line to the executive suite understand what are the resources that the company can offer and does offer mental health services, whether it's the EAP or, or that sort of thing. I've sat with an employee who was crying and talking about how they were having suicidal ideation. And I can tell you that that is not the moment that I want to start researching what we can do to help this individual. And by the way, that sort of thing can be very traumatic for the leader. I don't want to downplay how traumatic it clearly, clearly is for the individual, but leaders are often not equipped to deal with these things. Yeah. Suicidal ideation. There was a gal that was living in her car with her three children. There was another gal that lost her like two-year-old son. Like these things come out. 
And we have to prepare our leaders to the extent appropriate and possible so that they can help work through these situations and understand where to turn to people. Because again, like I shouldn't be trying to help you process things. That's I am not qualified for that. But I can say, okay, it seems like you need some help. So like, let's talk about how we can get you some help right now. That's really, really, really good stuff. Honestly, there's a lot of things in what you just said that are worth, you know, fleshing out more. You know, we try to stick to a half an hour here on Tuesdays. So I can't go back and, you know, zoom in on all these wonderful things you just said. But one I want to pull out is the idea, the false idea, and I agree with you that we should leave our humanity at the door when we come to work or at the virtual door in the case of remote work, right? You know, there's a really great TV show streaming out there called Severance. And if anybody here has seen it, you know, it it's literally talking about this idea that you could have almost like a partition in your brain that when you're at work, you don't remember your outside self. And when you're outside, you don't remember your work self. And it's in some ways a parody of that idea of leaving your real life at the door, right? And I can just tell you personally, I struggle with the idea of leaving work at work 100% because I'm just as much me in both places, right? Now, that, that doesn't mean I need to come home and, and make my family listen to all my complaints about everything that happened at work. But at the same time, if you are being traumatized at work, it will impact your home life. That's just the truth. And the other is true as well. you know. And, and I love the way that you kind of delineate for anyone listening that CX leaders, business leaders are not qualified and it is not appropriate for them to try to be a therapist in someone's life. You can be a support system. You can point them to qualified resources and you should. And I think companies are growing in their understanding of the need for those resources to be present and really to see the need. If we're going to continue to grow profitability and revenue and be successful in business, our people need to be healthy people. And so by providing those resources, it's not just about everybody holding hands and singing Kumbaya. It's about actually being holistically successful as a business and as humans within a business, right? And those things are connected. That is one of the main subjects of our time every Tuesday is that you can't just separate the humanity out of the business. And businesses that think that way, that you know people are just assets like a machine or a piece of software are missing the entire point. More importantly, they are missing out on the value of humanity. Now, we're not going to go any deeper down that rabbit hole because, again, we're trying to keep this on track, right? We're going to keep the conversation moving forward. But I think about specifically the type of work that CX agents do, right? And, and I was thinking, you know, lions, tigers, and angry customers, oh my, right? It's sometimes very daunting. And for those who have verbal abuse-related pre-existing trauma, be it professional or personal, it's fraught with landmines, potentially. And I think there are some things potentially that CX leaders and business leaders in general can do to help make that work less traumatizing for the frontline agents. And I wonder if maybe you have some ideas about what some of those things could be, Jeremy. Sure. Yeah, I think most people would agree I've never seen anything like what we've experienced the last several years. I don't think anyone has. You know, the, there have been many days that it felt like society and the world was falling apart around us. You know, the, the pandemic, 
the, the U.S. Political, political climate. I'm in Minnesota, and so you know, in, in Minnesota and other parts of the country, like dealing with situations like the murder of George Floyd, like we're going through so much as a society to begin with. Then on top of that, it's pretty well documented that customers have become increasingly abusive. And it's not like it's everybody, but there's some percentage of the population that all of these other factors have just amped things up in a way that's pretty incredible. Like I said, never seen anything like it. Yeah. So I think we, we definitely need to acknowledge these things. All of these things speak about these things, but making sure that our teams know that they can raise their hand if they need help. Anytime I, I would ever interview an agent, and I don't get to do so much of this anymore, but whenever I would interview a, an agent candidate for we, we work from home for a work from home position, I would talk to them about self-advocacy. Mm. You know, in a remote uh, virtual environment specifically, it becomes really difficult to pick up on nonverbal cues that somebody might be having a difficult time. Yeah. And we don't necessarily as a society, teach and promote people to speak a lot about things that they're struggling with. So now you have a scenario where people don't want to communicate it and you can't see it because you're not physically present with them. So I think that's really, really important. Like calling that out, saying like, you need to be an advocate, like I'm here for you, but if I don't know, let me know. So I know, you know, how I can help. Um, I think it's important that we do not accept or allow abusive behavior from our customers. You know, if we need to block their phone numbers because they have just gotten to a point that's irresponsible, we've had to actually call law enforcement multiple times over the last year to contact the customer to say, you need to stop. This is this has gotten ridiculous. So you're Um, saying the customer is not always right. No, they are not. (laughs) And yeah, when it comes to protecting our people, like we definitely should not take a stance that they're they're always right. But yeah, I mean, I think things like that, protecting them, you know, encouraging time off, which means that like part of our responsibility is to staff appropriately so that they can take time off. And so they're not bombarded just interaction after interaction after after interaction, which, by the way, I'll say like I've struggled with over the last year or two. I think a lot of other people have as well. Right. Staffing has been difficult. Um, But really, like to the extent possible, it's managing the things that we can control, creating the right culture for our team. Um, even with policies and pr- procedures, you know, CX is part of like avoiding customer friction. Like, let's do that for our people as well. It's it's as much for our employees as it is for our customers with those sorts of things. But, you know, th- these concepts that we're talking today are something that I'm increasingly interested in trying to share with people so that they can start to kind of think about what are these responses, going out and looking for strategies that can help. Again, like when we, when we, talk to people about escalations, difficult customers, difficult colleagues, difficult bosses, whatever. I think that some of the things that we focus on and we talk about are the right things, except for we're not talking about like the feeling and the physiological aspect of things. Mm. So it just becomes, you know, don't say this, say this, like here's words that you should say, here's words that, but again, like if I'm not in the right frame of mind, I can't access any of what you're trying to teach me because that's just shut down. Right. So I think it's just really, really important that we start having conversations about feelings, about these stress responses, about strategies that we can give to people so that they're better positioned to, to manage through all of this. And, and they're thinking in advance, what am I going to do when? 
you know, that's really, really good. That's really, really good. I think last week, our conversation with way, we were kind of talking about some of these dynamics of creating a safe environment. Talked about that a few weeks ago with Sherry. Ultimately, the idea that we can just force more work out of people and that will continue to be sustainable is already proving to not be true. Right. Mm -hmm. And so with the shift in the labor dynamics across the economy, you know, it either becomes adversarial, right? Where the leverage goes all the way to one side. And now it's, I demand X, Y, Z, ABC in order to accept employment. And you've had a little bit of a flavor of that, right? I mean, the most recent trend is like this quiet quitting thing, which is really interesting. Don't have time for that today either. But there, there is this resistance to the idea that we're just machines and we can just continue to churn out work without any care or concern for our humanity. And that that is changing. You know, our guest last week, Wei Wu Curtis, was really brilliant in explaining the mission statement of her up and coming BPO really to be the opposite of those dynamics in the way that they build a culture and the way that they hire and everything else. And and Poe, we're glad you're with us here today from Support You. But honestly, if we think about what that means for the agent on a day-to-day basis, if you actually build a culture where that self-advocacy is encouraged, where you can literally raise your hand and say, I'm having a tough time. Mm-hmm. And where that becomes really, really safe, that's really, really impactful. I was just speaking with someone yesterday who is at a company that just experienced a massive layoff at the end of last week, right? And layoffs is a whole nother type of trauma in the work mm-hmm. world, right? You know, you, the fear of layoffs, the experience of having been laid off in the past, it is something that many workers deal with that, you know, they, they're wondering, you know, especially when the economic news gets dim, am I going to be laid off? You know, who on my team is going to be laid off? But this particular person was telling me that her company had open dialogue and conversation about the trauma that layoffs cause for everyone. And so the remaining team was able to vocalize how they felt. And it was safe to say, I don't think this is fair. It was safe to say this is hard and hurtful. And as much as no one likes layoffs, And in some ways, layoffs always mean something bad has occurred at a root level within the business. At least there's a growing understanding that you have to provide a safe space for people to express themselves, their humanity, their hurts in order for the business to be sustainable moving forward. And those connections between the human aspects and the bottom line need to be grown even more. And if we can do just a little bit in our time Uh, every Tuesday to connect the humanity of work and the bottom line, then we will have done everyone a service, I think. And I think about all the agents across the world that are sitting in front of screens with a headset that are trying to provide customer service in various situations, their own lives, their own contexts, and and they're trying to support their families and and have a better life through their work. And, And I think about all those dynamics and I want these conversations to continue and I want them to get deeper. And, and I want the realization to be really throughout organizations of how real and important these concepts really are to the long-term success of the business, but also the morality of how the business is run. And I think that's a topic that's a little touchy for some people, you know, because it's a business, it's not a charity. How many times have we heard that, right? But a business is made up of people serving people. And ultimately, if the people on the inside are not well, 
the people we're serving on the outside will receive in the implications of that. And so, you know, even when you don't just want to talk about the bottom line, just for the sake of the bottom line, we have to do better in general and, and understanding trauma and how it works, finding ways without crossing the boundaries of appropriateness to provide resources and to connect people with things that will help them and, and give them tactics and strategies for how to manage things is really, really critical. Uh, I just want to mention one other thing. And again, you know, I'm sure we will bring this topic up again. There are four or five different things that we touched on real briefly that probably deserve 30 minutes to themselves. So, you know, Jeremy, I, I might rope you back in for another chat, man, because I think this has been amazing. But I, for anyone who wants to study trauma more in general, The Body Keeps the Score is an excellent resource. And uh, we'll provide a link to it in the content when we post this video um, that's being recorded. But it is really, really powerful because it's it's a clinical psychiatrist who was helping Vietnam War veterans in a, a clinic, a VA clinic, around the time that PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, as a diagnosis actually was created. And so he was at the ground level of understanding what's going on in the brain, trying to figure out why do these people behave the way that they do? What is the actual root cause? And there's so much to learn. But if you're looking to understand trauma in general, and then to learn to be able to apply it into how you manage, how you do your own work and, and life, that's a great resource. And um, you know we're, we're out of time. I think we could talk for two more hours, but Jeremy, thank you so much for being here with us on CXQA Live and uh, we appreciate you and we hope everyone has a great day and let's go make a positive difference today, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Thanks everyone. To listen to a recording of this and other episodes, visit vistio.io forward slash podcasts. And to join our show live each week, go to vistio.io forward slash CX live.